really the world of corporate values is turned upside down. And it does show you the power and the pressure that China uses and that it deploys its markets to justify the use of forced labor. And that's something that we haven't seen before and is a really pernicious trend to watch and to stop. This is the Manufacturing Report. I'm Kat Adams. Few sporting events attract as much glamour or excitement as the Olympics, and its prestige makes hosting the Games a sought-after role, one that can recast a nation and reshape its narrative. This year, the Winter Games, which are set to open on February 4th in Beijing, have already shown the power of that narrative as Chinese authorities work to squelch inquiries into allegations of human rights abuses, including the possible use of forced labor to manufacture Olympic-branded merchandise. Today, I speak with Minky Warden, the Director of Global Initiatives at the Human Rights Watch, about these allegations and how the International Olympic Committee has responded. That's next on The Manufacturing Report. Thank you so much, Minky, for joining us today on The Manufacturing Report. I'd like to talk a little bit about your most recent opinion piece in the Washington Post in which you talk about sports washing. Can you explain a little bit about what that term means and how it relates to the upcoming Winter Olympics? Sure. Sports washing is when a government that has a terrible human rights record uses a glamorous global sport event to really mask or cover up uh, abuses. And, you know, sports washing is not a new phenomenon. You could say that the World Cup in Russia in 2018 is sports washing. Among the things that the Russian government covered up was the deaths of uh, 22 workers building stadiums. Likewise, the World Cup in Qatar, which will happen later this, this year. There have been many documented human rights abuses. And you know, you can see why a repressive government or autocrats would want to host these glamorous sporting events. Um, In the case of uh, the Olympics, you know, the Winter Olympics have uh, an audience of about 3 billion people worldwide, and that is half of the global population. So, So for dictators like Xi Jinping or autocrats, sports events are an opportunity to rub elbows with world leaders, to present your country in a way that it's a a modern country that competes in sport and plays by the rules. So you can obviously see why Xi Jinping would be eager to host the Winter Olympics. It's less clear why the International Olympic Committee would allow the Olympics to take place in a country which um, has documented crimes against humanity against the 13 million population of Uyghurs and Turkic Muslims, um, in addition to repression in Hong Kong and Tibet and jailing of journalists and human rights defenders. So sports washing really applies to Beijing in this case because the country is in the worst human rights crackdown in the post Tiananmen Square era And it's going to host the biggest Winter Olympics event in just two weeks. So you've shared some of the human rights concerns that have come to attention in China of late. One of those is actually forced labor camps. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that's coming into play within the Winter Olympics this year? Sure. So let's just step back for one minute and talk about human rights, because I think that is the foundation 
we've established over a period of years, including dating back to the Beijing Olympics in 2008, when China hosts the Summer Olympics, I think that one of the things that we've established is that you can't have one of these successful mega sporting events against a climate of abuses. And in China, the abuses that we're talking about, and I, and I think it's important to say, where does this forced labor come from? The abuses are actually that the Chinese government has used surveillance systems to monitor and put into re-education through labor camps, as many as a million Uyghurs and Turkic Muslims. And what this means is that these are people who are separated from their families. They are tortured. They're subject to um, many different kinds of human rights abuses. And one of the abuses that has been extensively documented is forced labor. So what forced labor means is that you don't get paid. You don't get to choose what labor you're doing. You don't have the ability to leave. The concerns about supply chains uh, actually date back several years. And one of the big concerns is that all companies worldwide under the UN guiding principles on business and human rights need to be able to say that their supply chains are free of forced labor. And it's an affirmative responsibility. So you have to actually know your own supply chains. You need to be able to say, I don't have slavery in my supply chain. And because a number of auditors have pulled out of China saying it is not safe for them to work, right? They can't um, go without uh, warning to a factory and check to see whether there are children working on the supply chain. Whistleblowers wouldn't have a chance to report forced labor or child labor in China. So one interesting thing, I think it was actually the fall of 2020, in September of 2020, the largest garment auditing companies, there's a, a group called the Better Cotton Initiative, which was a consortium that does labor monitoring, and including with companies like Adidas, Nike, and Gap, the Better Cotton Initiative called Xinjiang, which is where the majority of the cotton in China comes from, um, a, an untenable operating environment. So what that means is that it's very hard for any company to say, due to the Chinese government's repression, to really say that their supply chains are free from forced labor. And the Chinese government has uh, been documented to be moving Uyghurs and other and other populations around the country. Um, and that makes it too difficult to determine whether factories are using forced labor. The International Olympic Committee has announced a partnership and that its uniforms would be supplied by a company called ANTA. And that is a company that has affirmatively said it will use cotton from Xinjiang. So very, you know, a very interesting turn of the wheel to just today, um, a U.S. government agency has urged the IOC to publish proof that the uniform, so think of, you know, the, the sleek track suits that the IOC officials will wear, they're now under a lot of pressure to publish proof that those uniforms, which by the way, were also worn in Tokyo at the Summer Olympics, that those uniforms were not made using forced labor. 
So the requirement for the International Olympic Committee, which is the, the games organizer, and all companies, and I think that would include all of the sponsors like Coca-Cola, Airbnb, Visa, P&G, major multinational companies also need to be transparent about their supply chains. And they are under a lot of pressure to say, what if any human rights due diligence have they made? So I think we're with just a short time remaining before the Olympics arrive, companies are under really unprecedented pressure to confirm that they don't have forced labor in their supply chain, including making things with the five rings. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that that pressure is really building. How has the International Olympic Committee responded so far to that pressure as well as the corporate sponsors for this event? Yeah, so there is a really um, a a large and uh, almost unprecedented coalition that has worked to pass legislation in the U.S. and around the world to stop the use of forced labor or slave labor. And this um, coalition is called the End Uyghur Forced Labor Coalition. And they have had a lot of success. For example, before in December, the coalition succeeded in getting a bipartisan bill to require companies to certify their products aren't made with slave labor if they come from China. That bill was passed in the House and the Senate in record time and signed into law by U.S. President Joe Biden on the 23rd of December. So this is a a powerful coalition of about 400 um, non-governmental organizations worldwide. It also includes Uyghur groups and activists, including survivors of China's re-education camps. And I think they have this, these groups, especially the survivors have a lot of moral authority. They had requested, had been requesting for the last eight months to meet with the International Olympic Committee to see and to seek information about whether the uniforms and other Olympic products are made with forced Uyghur labor. And shockingly, the International Olympic Committee, which does meet with other NGOs, has refused to meet with this coalition. Talks to meet broke down earlier this year and the coalition uh, went public with its criticism. The coalition has now said, the the anti-Uyghur forced labor coalition has said that the IOC refuses to show its due diligence, refuses to show what efforts it has made to ensure the supply chain is is free of forced labor, and that this is quite unprecedented in 2022 that a global organization that should be upholding the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights is actually rejecting a request to meet with a group of survivors of China's camps just in the weeks before the Olympics begin. It's unfathomable how documented all of these crimes against humanity have been and just how obstinate these corporations and the IOC has been. It's, it's, it's really perverse. What should corporate sponsors be doing right now on the IOC? Obviously, you, you mentioned the need for documentation of the absence of forced labor in the fabrication of Olympic apparel, but what else should they be doing right now to try and make this right? So uh, so just a word about corporate sponsors. They literally underwrite the Olympics. 
So they give the money that goes to fund the International Olympic Committee. And as we've just discussed, the International Olympic Committee has done a very poor job of applying its standards to the Chinese government and requiring them to uphold the rules. So there hasn't been a level playing field with that. But the corporate sponsors have also dropped the ball in another major way. You know, the UN guiding principles on business and human rights are the gold standard for businesses. It covers all businesses and enterprises. And all of the corporate sponsors, with the exception of Alibaba, a company in China, actually um, have human rights directors and they uphold the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. However, the IOC, which is a multi-million dollar, certainly, and probably billion dollar organization, should be covered by the UN guiding principles, and, and it actually is not. So the IOC has no human rights policy and has, is not, uh, that possibly is why it is not uh, holding China to any of the important human rights requirements like press freedom. So what can sponsors do? Human Rights Watch wrote to sponsors in May of last year. And just a reminder of who these companies are. It's, you know, these are, they're the so-called top sponsors. TOP means the Olympic Partner Program. And they provide alongside NBC, which has the media rights, they provide 75% uh, of the income for the International Olympic Committee. And these companies are major names like Intel, Omega, Panasonic, Samsung, P&G, Toyota, Visa, Airbnb, Atos, Bridgestone Tire Company, Coca-Cola, Allianz, and Alibaba. So the sponsors have not only failed to release their own due diligence to show that their own products are not made with slave labor or forced labor, they also have not even pressured the International Olympic Committee to adopt human rights. So I think they have, um, despite having policies that commit them to work within this human rights framework, there really is a major exception for China and that is deeply wrong. It's a recipe for disaster. Companies are under such pressure now by China and by consumers who are subject to a lot of propaganda that Intel and other major companies feel like they have to apologize to the Chinese government for wanting to have supply chains that are free from forced labor. So if you can imagine being for these companies, the power of China is such that major multinational companies feel that they must apologize for not wanting to have forced labor in their supply chains. So I think really the world of corporate values is turned upside down. And it does show you the power and the pressure that China uses and that it deploys its markets to justify the use of forced labor. And that's something that we haven't seen before and is a really pernicious trend to watch and to stop. And is there anything that I right now who feel I feel very impotent in hearing all of this? What can I do as just a, a regular watcher of the Olympics right now to support human rights? Well, so, you know, I think it, the important thing to remember is that for an autocracy like China, the Olympics aren't just about sport. 
It's a, it's they, the Chinese government treats this as a geopolitical event that is designed to elevate the status of the Chinese Communist Party at home and abroad. And it is important, you know, it's important to the Chinese government. It's important enough that, for example, the Chinese government has retained a social media firm in New Jersey to write nice things about the Olympics. And I think what ordinary citizens can do, first of all, you can, you know, you're a consumer. So the company's names that I read out, you know, you buy Coca-Cola, you may buy P&G products, you may have an Intel chip in your computer that gives you standing to complain to these companies because some of them have been underwriting. This is the second China Olympics they've underwritten. And the idea that the Olympics are always a force for good is clearly not correct. So I think citizens can also and absolutely should express your concerns to the International Olympic Committee, which has given the Chinese Communist Party an enormous platform from which to promote its own propaganda. I think the governments around the world are um, stepping forward with a diplomatic boycott. So a diplomatic boycott doesn't punish athletes who've trained their entire lives for the luge or ice skating, but rather says, we're not going to send our top officials to participate in this propaganda exercise while crimes against humanity are happening in China. So urging governments and others to do a diplomatic boycott, not to send high-level officials, which will in turn deny the Chinese government their opportunity to rub elbows with world leaders and to say that this is a normal Olympics. And, you know, then um, I, I think finally, the broader need is a coherent strategy. And I, you know, I think it's very important that Congress and the Capitol Hill and the White House have spoken with one voice to say, companies, it's, it's not business as usual right now in China. There's nothing normal with having a million members of an ethnic minority in re-education camps and subject to forced labor. There's nothing normal about what's happening in China now. And, but what's needed is a coherent strategy to address China's crimes against humanity in Xinjiang, to stop forced labor in supply chains, and then also to, to speak up for and to stand with journalists and pro-democracy leaders in Hong Kong or uh, religious leaders in Tibet and beyond. So. I think there is a lot that can be done. The Olympics is a very good and important platform for this, but it will also be important that the process carries forward after the Olympics closing ceremony. Where can listeners learn more about the Human Rights Watch's work in China and more information about human rights in general? So we have a dedicated uh, Beijing Olympics page, and we'd be grateful if you can help share these materials. It's called Beijing 2022, and it's on our website, hrw.org. I think you, on that site, we have a new world report that we've just put out this week and where we do human rights analyses of more than 100 countries worldwide. There you can find uh, the chapter on China, 
which talks about the rule of Xi Jinping and the human rights abuses that have characterized that rule. There are also a number of campaigns and what you can do sections to take action. So I very much appreciate your question about what can ordinary people do. Since these games are designed to legitimize abuses against Uyghurs and to imply that the world approves of repression in Hong Kong, Tibet, and in China, the best way to respond to that is to write directly to the International Olympic Committee sponsors and others to say, we don't approve. We don't want to have any products that are associated with forced labor. And we expect that you will take the steps to remove your supply chains from China where you cannot guarantee that forced labor is, is not making products. So supply chain transparency is something for all consumers to advocate for. And now is the moment to do it when we have a new US law coming into effect that will help us. Thank you, Minky. That gives me some hope that we can see progress in the future. Thank you so much for joining us on the Manufacturing Report today. Happy to do it. That'll do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about the Human Rights Watch and its research in China, visit hrw.org. Be sure to subscribe to Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or you can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. Until next time, together we can keep it made in America.